Hey, I'm Pastor Brian. It's been a little while since I've been here. It's so good to, to be back at my home campus. Yeah, this is my home. Don't tell anybody. Actually, this is being recorded. Sorry, everybody. The secret's out. We just live a couple miles from here, and we just, I, I love being here in, at our Riverdale campus, and it's great to be here with you worshiping and finishing up our, our Jonah series. We've been, this is our fifth week in the book of Jonah, four chapters of the book, but we needed one more week to get everything Everything communicated in this series. We're gonna we're gonna talk. We're gonna wrap up this series today. the The series big idea is real real simple. The story of Jonah is about the God of miracles, who's willing to let everyone off the hook for their sins. Do you see what we did there? Some of you are just now realizing what we did there with the old off the hook thing and the fish and all that stuff. Little dad joke to warm us up on the morning in the morning. All right. Well, I thought it was funny, whatever. You guys, second service will think it's hilarious. I'm sure they will. All right. So we've, we've, been, we've looked at this story. If, you, if you're new here today, let me just give you a two-minute two recap. So chapter one, God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh, which is a foreign nation. It's an enemy nation. They're terrible, terrible people, like Raiders fans. They're horrible people. I just, I just caught, a jersey caught my eye, so I just have to... Terrible people. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah says, uh-uh, I'm not going to go. He literally goes the opposite direction. He, goes, he gets on a boat and he goes to Tarshish. Everybody say Tarshish. Tarshish. It's just one of the fun words in the book. So he goes to Tarshish, which literally means at that time it was the other end of the earth. He literally was going the other end of the earth. How many of you have ever gone the opposite direction of where God wanted you to go? Raise your hand. So you, you can relate to Jonah. He goes literally the opposite direction. So then in chapter 2, sorry, at the end of chapter 1, he ends up getting thrown into the sea. The storm kicks up. He gets thrown into the sea. He gets swallowed by a fish. <clears throat> so God let the sailors off the hook in chapter 1. God let the sailors off the hook because the sailors were freaking out. God let the sailors off the hook. They throw Jonah overboard, the sea gets calm, and their lives are spared. If you remember how chapter 1, in the middle of chapter 1, it said they ended up worshiping God. So, they, so this, this collateral damage that he had brought into their life ended up being for their own good. They meet the God of Jonah, the, real, the true God of the Bible. That was chapter 1. Chapter 2, we see that Jonah's in the fish. He's, he's caught up in the fish, and from the fish, he prays this prayer of repentance, which we all tend to do when we hit rock bottom. It's, for a lot of people, it takes rock bottom to pray a prayer like this to say, God, I was wrong, you were right. You know, it doesn't have to be that hard. By the way, young people, listen to me. It doesn't have to be that hard. You don't have to run to Tarshish. You could just do it God's way in the first place. You won't end up at rock bottom. Anyway, that's another sermon. So he's at rock bottom. He prays his prayer. He says, God, I'm so sorry. I, I, I'm going to go your way now. So, we, we, so it turns out, at the end of that, God has the, after three days and three nights, God has the fish spit Jonah out onto the beach. He gets a beach vacation after all. So Jonah gets let off the hook in chapter two. So chapter one, it's the sailors. Chapter two, it's Jonah. Now, he gets to Nineveh, chapter three. He gets to Nineveh. He preaches the message. It's, it's eight simple words. He says, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's it. That was his message. Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And just like he expected, 
Nineveh, remember this evil, terrible nation, Nineveh repents. Even, even the king of Nineveh repents. And the king of Nineveh at the end of chapter 3, he says, who knows, maybe God will relent. Who knows, maybe possibly God won't destroy us. And sure enough, God decided not to destroy them. God let Nineveh off the hook. So chapter 1, Jonah gets let off the hook. Chapter 2, the sailors get let off the hook. Chapter 3, the raiders get let off the hook. Okay, so everybody's getting let off the hook. And then last week, chapter 4, which was personally my favorite, my favorite chapter in the whole book because it is literally the most embarrassing chapter in the Bible. If you missed it, go back and listen to it. If you've ever seen a grown man throw a tantrum, that's what happened in Jonah chapter 4 because Jonah says, I knew you were going to do this, God. That's why I didn't want to go. I knew you were going to be gracious. I knew you were going to let Nineveh off the hook. I just knew you were that kind of a God. Now, some of you didn't know that that's the God of the Bible, that that's the kind of God that we worship here every week, that that the God of the Bible actually is a gracious and compassionate God, slow to get angry. And this is what Jonah says. It's one of the most often stated sort of statements in the, in the Old Testament is what Jonah says in Jonah 4, 2, that you're gracious and compassionate and slow to get angry. And he said, dang it, I hate that. Now, he didn't hate it for him. He didn't hate it in chapter 2, but he hated it in chapter 3. We don't hate it when God lets us off the hook. We hate it when he lets our enemies off the hook. We're, we love it when he shows us mercy. We hate it when he shows someone else mercy that, that we think doesn't deserve mercy which, which, exposes, which exposes how we don't often really fully understand God's mercy. That we need it just as much as anybody. Think of the worst person in the world, your biggest enemy in the world. You need God's mercy as much as that person does. That's one of the messages in the book of Jonah. And so once again, in Jonah chapter 4, God teaches Jonah this little lesson. And he you know, has this little vine grow up over his head while Jonah's sitting there on a hill looking over Nineveh, eating his popcorn, waiting for the show, waiting for the fireworks show. He's hoping that God's going to go all Sodom and Gomorrah on Nineveh, but he doesn't. Instead, God takes the vine away that was giving him shade. And so Jonah experiences just a little bit of God's heat with the sun. That's all. He just, instead of Nineveh experiencing God's heat, like fire from heaven... Jonah experiences God's heat, and Jonah starts complaining again. He throws a tantrum again. And God's whole point was, you know, you, you, fe- you feel so strongly about this vine over your back, but I feel strongly about people. Like, why wouldn't you feel that way about people? And, and it all, he also throws in their animals. He said, not only the people of Nineveh, but all their animals, too. Really a bizarre thing. In the Bible, by the way, it's very, for you animal lovers, you should underline that one. It's really strange that they even put the animals in sackcloth, sackcloth and ashes, and then God even says, I care about the people and the animals. I care about the people and the animals. And that's how it ends. The story of Jonah just ends kind of on a cliffhanger, like, shouldn't I care about them? That's it. That's all we have. So it really was a, a, a cool story of, of this gracious, compassionate, 
merciful God who's slow to anger. And he lets all these people off the hook. Jonah twice, the sailors once, Ninevites once. And today we're going to finish up by talking about this, this other part of this and this idea that, that it's a story of the God of miracles. And we're going to look at four miracles, the four miracles of Jonah. And I don't have the, uh, the clicker here, guys. So the four miracles of Jonah. And uh, again, most of us know the main miracle, that he got spit out by a fish. We're going to get to that. Spoiler alert. We're going to get to that at the end. But there are actually other miracles in the story that I want to make sure that we make note of. Let's start with the definition of a miracle. A miracle is a surprising and welcome event that's not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. Raise your hand if you've ever witnessed a miracle before. Raise your hand if you've ever witnessed a miracle before. I have. I remember in high school, uh, I was 16 years old. We went to Mexico on a on a mission trip, and we were up at this church, and, and the, we invited people to come forward to pray for healing at this church service down in Mexico. It was a big church, and, and they, they told, the youth pastor said, all right, all you, all you kids have to come up there and, and pray, pray with these people. So that was my first time praying for God to perform a miracle. I'd never done that before. And so I remember standing there with a bunch of my friends, and this guy came from the back of the auditorium. He, he came dragging his right foot behind him. His whole, he'd obviously had a stroke. His whole right side of his body was limp, and he's dragging, he's dragging himself up to the front. And he comes right to me and a couple of my buddies. And I, I speak a little bit of Spanish. At the time, I speak a lot of Spanish now, but at the time I spoke a little bit of Spanish. I had a couple years of Spanish under my, de- my belt, but I, that wasn't the problem. The problem was I wasn't comfortable praying for this guy. I'd never prayed for a miracle before. This guy had expectations. I mean, the pastor, I'm pretty sure the pastor just said, come forward, we'll pray for you, and God will perform a miracle. I was like, I didn't sign up for that. I... So here he is in front of us, and I'm waiting for a pastor, a youth pastor, a a pastor of that church to come up to us and nobody, everyone's busy praying with everybody else and so my friends and I look at each other and they're like, well, you speak a little bit of Spanish and I'm like, okay, let's pray for this guy. So we, just a bunch of us teenagers surrounded this guy and laid hands on him and started praying for him and I didn't know a whole lot of Spanish but I, I knew enough to say, en el nombre de Jesucristo, in the name of Jesus, levante la, man, levante la mano, raise your hand. And when I said that, as we were praying for him, his, his limp hand, his limp arm, went up into the air, and he raised his hand. And I said the same thing about his leg. And then he lifted up his leg. And all of us teenagers were standing around there saying, what in the world is going on right now? And I remember Watching that man walk out, one of the last things I remember from that Mexico trip is watching him walk down the aisle back out and leaving, whole. He drug himself up to the front, and he literally walked out of their hole. That's a miracle of God. See, if you're a Christian, you believe that God can perform miracles, even though many of us have never actually seen a miracle like that before. If you're here today and you're a little bit skeptical, I get it. 
I'm skeptical too. I'm right there. I'm a, I'm a skeptical guy. Skepticism isn't wrong. Doubt isn't the opposite of faith. It's okay to be skeptical. God's good with us being skeptical. skeptical. In fact, Thomas, doubting Thomas was skeptical, and, and Jesus didn't say, you're done. I can't believe it. I can't believe you'd be skeptical. Jesus just revealed himself to Thomas. So if you're here today and you're a little skeptical, join the party. We're not going to kick you out of here because Jesus wouldn't. We're just going to invite you to ask Jesus to show himself to you. That's what he did for Thomas. That's what he did for me, and I think that's what he can do for you. So let's take a look at the four miracles that we see in the book of Jonah. The first one is it's a miracle that God spoke to Jonah. I mean, the very first words of the Bible say, and then God, God spoke to Jonah, and here's what he said. He said, go to Nineveh. I think sometimes we read that and we just pass right over that. We just take that for granted, but I, I don't think we should take it for granted. Guys, it's a miracle when God speaks to us. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that God would speak to Jonah, that God would have a message for Jonah. God already knew what Jonah was going to do, by the way. It's a miracle that God still spoke to him anyway. He knew chapter 4 at chapter 1, God did, and God still spoke to Jonah. He knows your story, he knows my story, and yet he still speaks to us. He still communicates with us. And if you ask me, that's a miracle. Isaiah 35:11 or 55:11 it says, "It's the same with my word, God speaking. He says, "I send it out and it always produces fruit." Wouldn't that be nice? Dads, wouldn't that be nice? If you're like, "Take out the garbage." And then everybody just obeyed. Everybody takes out the quit your griping and then everybody quit their griping, you know? Stop yelling at your sister. Stop fighting with your sister and everybody stops fighting with their sisters. Wouldn't it be nice if this was true of us? That our words go out, parents, and it always produces fruit. It doesn't. It'd be nice. But it does for God. He says, my word will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. And so you say, but it didn't in Jonah, because he went to Tarshish. Ah, but God got the final word, didn't he? God always gets the final word. God's way is always the way we end up going. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, for the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our heart. That's what God's word, that's the power of God's word. I mean, haven't you ever been there reading God's word, reading the Bible, and then just something jumps out at you and you've read it a hundred times before, but it just jumps out at you and you're like, you feel that conviction about that passage. That's because God's word, and this is in part what that's talking about. This isn't all of what that's talking about, but in part, we have God's word. And that's why we need to, we need to open this, friends, because God's word is powerful and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. And God's, when we open God's word, he speaks to us. This is how God reveals himself to us. We have a new series online at PursueGod.org called Systematic Theology. If you're interested in learning some theology, it's a 12-part series. It's really good. It's an in-depth series at PursueGod.org. You can find it on the series page there. One of the, one of the episodes is all about God's revelation. And what we, what we say in that lesson is that God reveals himself in three ways. 
In other words, here's God speaks in three ways. Number one, general revelation. General revelation is when you look out at the mountains. You look out, you see the snow caps and the, the, I mean, it was just beautiful today as I was driving to church. I was like, man, that is, that is God's revelation to us. It shows us his character. It shows us his beauty. It shows us his power. Even the mountains do. I didn't, some of you probably were raised out here in Utah. I'm, I was raised in Chicagoland. And so I didn't see a mountain until I was 16 years old. And I remember, I, now I saw them on TV, but I always, I never believed it. I'm like, those things don't exist, right? I lived in the Great Plains. I lived in the flatlands. You could see for miles in every direction. And I remember at 16, we came to visit an uncle in Colorado, and I remember coming around, coming around down that highway, and we finally get a glimpse of the mountains, and I couldn't take my eyes off of the mountains. And I remember that week that I was there, I remember thinking, these people don't even realize how lucky they are to live here in the mountains. It's so beautiful. And then God called us here to the mountains, and we've been here for 23 years, and I still am in awe of God's beauty every day, every day when I look at these mountains. That's general revelation. General revelation is, is God's revealing himself in a very general way to everyone who has eyes to see it. The second thing is specific re revelation or special revelation. Now that is, this, this is included in that, is God's word is part of his special revelation. This is where God gets very specific with us. This is where God gets detailed with us. General revelation doesn't tell us about Jesus. Special revelation does. You can read God's word and you can read about Jesus, you can read about God's heart for you, you can read about you, and you can read about me, and you can read about Jesus. And that's his special revelation. Also included in special revelation is when you're reading the Bible and the Holy Spirit speaks to you, God, God by his Holy Spirit, God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, so God the Holy Spirit opens your eyes, opens your eyes to receive the word. What we're doing right now is a, is a part of special revelation. Some of you are here today, or maybe there have been times where you've been here, and somebody's preached something from God's word, and, and somebody has said something, and all of a sudden you understood it differently than you understood it before. That's because the Holy Spirit does his work in you and opens your spiritual eyes and your spiritual ears to be able to see and hear what was just spoken. Some of you parents are asking for that for your kids some of your spouse, some of you spouses are asking that for your husband and your wife. You're asking that the Holy Spirit would do his special work in your loved one's life, that special revelation. And then the third thing, okay, so we have general revelation. This is how God speaks. We have general revelation. We have special revelation. And then number three, this is the coolest one, we have God's self-revelation. And his self-revelation was in Jesus Christ. God revealed himself ultimately, and most definitively in Jesus Christ. So it's a miracle whenever God speaks. Number two, it's a miracle that God controlled the storm. Remember, Jonah gets on this boat, and this, this, all of a sudden the storm starts raging. Remember, for the, for the sailors, the sailors were Phoenician, and so they had Phoenician gods and they believed that there was a God of the sea and there was a God of the sky and there was a God of the rain. and there was a, They believed in all these different gods as opposed to the one God of the Bible. 
And so when the storm kicked up, they're like, okay, somebody got the sea god mad. And Jonah said, no, it's not just the sea god who's mad. It's the real god who's mad. The one god, he's mad. And he controls the sea. And that got their attention to hear that there's one god who controls all things, including the sea. And sure enough, he was proved right when he was thrown overboard and then the sea got calm. It's a miracle that God controlled the storm. Makes me think of this verse from Job. I love this, Job 38. Who kept the sea inside its boundaries? This is God speaking to Job. Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it bursts forth from the womb and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? For I locked it behind barreled gates, limiting its shores. God says, I am the one who said, this far and no farther will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. Oh, I love it. God has this kind of authority over the wind and the waves and over the weather. And that's a miracle. And of course, we see that in Jesus' story, Matthew chapter 8, Jesus said to his disciples, it's very reminiscent of the Jonah story. The disciples are freaking out because there's a storm on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is sleeping like Jonah had been. Jesus is sleeping, and he wakes up, and he says, guys, why are you afraid, you wimps? That's my translation. He said, you men of little faith. And then Jesus got up from his nap. He rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm And the men were amazed, just like the sailors were, the men were amazed, and they said, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? See, the disciples were beginning to learn that Jesus was God, that Jesus had power over even the the elements like they had read about for so long in the Old Testament because Jesus is God. And only God can perform a miracle like that. That's number two. Number three, it's a miracle that God provided the fish in the first place. Think about it. He arra- the Bible says he arranged, God arranged for a fish to swallow Jonah when he got thrown into the sea. Isn't that kind of funny? God arranged for a fish. Like, well, I'm not sure what that means. Like, I'll have my people talk to your people and we're going to arrange this thing. He arranged for a fish to swallow Jonah, and we we looked at this in week number two. It turns out, this this was one of the real insights from this series, it turns out that the fish was God's provision, it wasn't his punishment. That the fish was God's unexpected rescue plan for Jonah, it wasn't his punishment for Jonah, and that's a good reminder for us. Sometimes we find ourselves in what we would seem, we would think to be bad situations, and we find out really in the end that maybe God is using that for our protection. He's using that to teach us something. And so it's a miracle that God has authority over fish. That's miraculous. He doesn't just have authority over the sea. He has authority over sea creatures. And we see that back in Job again. It's, is it your wisdom, he said, God said to Job, that makes the hawk soar and spread its wings toward the south? Is it at your command that the eagle rises to the heights and makes its nest? And the answer, obviously, is no. God says, it's at my command. I control the animals. 
That's the kind of authority that God has, and it's miraculous. Think about it just real quick, a quick survey. God is sovereign over the animals. The ram in the thicket from the Abraham story, remember that? That was God intervening, the ram in the thicket. Or Balaam's donkey, which is a funny one, that, that Balaam's donkey could talk, the prophet's donkey could talk. By the way, did you know that God didn't have to use Jonah to go to Nineveh? It would have been cooler if he used the fish. How cool would that have been if he would have just skipped over Jonah altogether and if he just, because everything that he said to the fish, the fish did. Whenever he said something to Jonah, Jonah got, Jonah got to decide. He should have just sent, if I was God, I'd have just sent the fish, just the fish poking his head out of the sea and saying, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed and then just dive right back into the ocean. Mic drop. That's what he did with Balaam's donkey. Or, or another fish in Jesus' story, the fish with the coins, when, when he was supposed to pay taxes and he told his disciples to go down and, and find a fish and there'll be coins in the fish's mouth and pay taxes with that. It's a miracle that God has authority over not just creation but even creatures. I think that's really cool. But we have to save the best for last. It's a miracle that the fish couldn't contain Jonah. It's a miracle that Jonah went into the fish for three days and three nights and came out alive. And this is called, by the way, this is called the sign of Jonah. Jesus' words. Jesus called this the sign of Jonah. And I want to finish with this passage because some of you maybe haven't connected the dots here yet, but I love what Jesus says. Jesus actually talked about Jonah. And here's what he said about it. It says in Matthew 12, one day some teachers of the religious law and, and the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, teacher, we, show, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. Okay, so the, the, the religious leaders were always trying to get Jesus to trip up. He's like, we want, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. But Jesus replied, he says, only an evil and adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But here's what I'm going to do. The only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of the prophet, of jo the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three, <laughs> three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So Jonah is what we call a type of Christ. The type of Christ is like, a, is like a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do. So Jonah being in the belly of the fish was a foreshadowing of Jesus being in the grave for three days and three nights and then coming out alive. That's called the sign of Jonah. And Jesus is telling them, that's the sign I'm going to give you. And if you don't believe that sign, then you will die in your sins. Now here's how I want to wrap this up. I want to make sure that we, we understand this, I'm going to just call it a fifth miracle. And it's probably the biggest miracle of all. The biggest miracle that we see really in 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 all these stories in the book of Jonah and then in the New Testament and maybe even in your life, the biggest miracle is when a sinner repents. The biggest miracle is that the sailors met Jesus or met God, that Jonah repented in chapter two, that, that the Ninevites repented in chapter three. That's the biggest miracle. In fact, one of the reasons that Jesus uses this story and highlights this story is because Jesus' death and resurrection was intended to bring the gospel to everyone, not just the Israelites. 
And that's what happened in the Jonah story. The whole Jonah story, sometimes it's easy for, for us to forget this, the Jonah story was about God bringing his compassion and his mercy and his grace to everyone. The Ninevites. We're the Ninevites. We're Gentiles. Even in, even in Jesus' day, his disciples thought that his, his Messiahship was only to rescue the people of Israel. Just like Jonah thought that God only cared about the Israelites. And God was saying through Jonah, I don't just care about the Israelites, I care about everybody. And God was saying the same thing through Jesus, that Jesus' death and resurrection would open the door for everyone to be let off the hook for their sins, including you and me. And it's a miracle. It's a miracle whenever that happens for somebody. It's a miracle when one sinner repents. The Bible says that all the angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner repents, because it's a miracle. And so Jesus ends with these chilling words. He says, the people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it, for they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. But now, someone greater than Jonah is here, and you refuse to repent. I think it's hard for us to understand how offensive those words were to the Israelites that he was speaking them to. The people of Nineveh, they were terrible, terrible people. And he says the people of Nineveh will stand up in judgment against you Pharisees and teachers of the law because the people of Nineveh repented when Jonah came. And here I am, Jesus is saying, here I am preaching to you and you won't repent. Friends, I want to give you an opportunity to repent. I want to give you an opportunity to turn to the God of Jonah. If you're here today and, and you would say, I don't know if I've ever trusted in Jesus for salvation. I've got a couple of doubts still. I'm not sure the jury's still out. What, look, I just want to invite you to turn to the God of Jonah. I want to invite you to this basic message that Jesus is talking about. That Jesus died. He was in the grave for three days, and then he rose again, conquering sin and death in the grave, not just for his sake, but for our sake, so that we wouldn't have to die in our sins. The Bible says that if you would trust in Jesus for salvation, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you would be saved. That's repentance. And the Bible says that when you do that, the angels in heaven rejoice because, because a sinner has repented. If you're here today, and you would say, I don't know if I've ever done that before. I don't know if I've ever trusted in, in this Miracle, the miracle of the resurrection. I don't know if I've ever trusted in the miracle of the resurrection. I want to invite you to do that today. I think it's a great way to close this series out. And so would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And if you're here today and, and you would say, just in your own heart, you would say, that's me. That's me. I, I, I want to believe in this God of miracles. I, I want to be let off the hook for my sins then I invite you to pray a sinner's prayer just like this with me. Pray like this. In your own heart, just say, Father, I recognize that I am broken and that I'm a sinner. I recognize that you died on the cross to pay for my sins and that you rose again, just like Jonah came out of that fish, you rose again to prove your authority over sin and death. Jesus, today, I confess my belief in you, my trust in you. And I say thank you for the forgiveness of my sins. 
In Jesus' name, amen.